Welcome to the Believing Art Podcast, a show which explores life, art, the Bible, and the conversations that tend to arise between them all. Life is not simple, art is not boring, and the Bible is not just a dusty old book. At least, that's what Charles and I believe. In other words, there's a lot going on here, so join us on the Believing Art Podcast as we attempt to discuss it all and everything that lies in between. Welcome to the Believing Art Podcast. I'm Seth Brown. I'm Charles Ricks. And today we are going to discuss Caravaggio. That's right. Caravaggio. The decapitation of Goliath. That's right. David. By the infamous young David. Yes. David with the head of Goliath. Goliath. Uh, it's a very grisly painting. Right. If you haven't seen it. And he actually did several takes on this. Okay. So we're going to, going to do one. Yeah. Um, but if this piques your interest, you might want to look up the others and see what the differences yeah. are. And I'll, uh, the one that we're talking about, I'll make sure to include it in the chapter. In the chapter, great. So that, yeah. so that um, you should be able to see it, just like I've done with all the other paintings. But uh, we're just going to jump right into the text, the biblical right. text that correlates with uh, the story of David That's decapitating right. Goliath. So. Charles, I think you've you've got it from here. Yes. Um, of course, this is a famous story. One of the more famous stories right. of David and Goliath, pretty much. If you've read Old Testament even a little bit, yeah. you've probably read this story. Uh, it's one of the first stories of David uh, in the first and second Samuel's stretch of um, biblical narrative that covers the life of David. So this comes kind of at the beginning. David's still relatively young, and Saul is still on the throne. Uh, the Philistines are the enemy. That's right. Bad guys. And uh, so Saul is. Um, we know from the from the from the story that Saul is tall and handsome. He's also nervous and has been kind of deposed by Samuel and God as the king because of his disobedience. David has just been raised up. So there's there's a lot going on. That's right. <laughs> uh between Saul and Samuel and uh David. So this story of of David is when they go out to uh kill the Philistines. Saul is going to do it from a military might point of view. Uh David is going to do it as we learn in the in the text by by faith, and so Saul tries to make him fortified with armor. David's not having it. He goes out with the slingshot and the five stones. Uh, lo and behold, kills Goliath, this giant person. And uh, the end of that story is in verse fifty of chapter seventeen. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone striking down the Philistine and David and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out on its sheath, and killed him. Then he cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The troops of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. 
so that the wounded Philistine fell on the way um, from Shireem, far as Gath and Ekron. The Israelites came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. The king said, inquire whose son this stripling is. On David's return from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So in this story, the head appears three times. <laughs> All right. Like we're, we're supposed to notice the head. Right. It's, right? it's almost gets more action than the character of Goliath That's right. itself. That's right. Right. right? There, there's no, you know, a stone and the slingshot bring Goliath down, but then it's the sword of Goliath that David uses to cut off the head. And now he carries the head and we see the head and then the head comes back again um, with, and it's associated with the identity of David, this warrior, right? So the Caravaggio painting is calling attention to, to this head of Goliath, which there's a lot to say about that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So why don't you pick up with um, why this head is important in the world of Caravaggio? You're right. So Caravaggio as a painter was extraordinary. I mean, if you've, if you're familiar with him, then, then, you know, a lot of his works. I think my, my personal favorite is actually the entombment of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, but he's famous for these sort of extreme light and dark, um, shadows, um, across his paintings. And in many ways, that sort of extremeness also characterizes Caravaggio himself. He was very much, uh, an extreme person, a sort of a fighter, uh, kind of wild and, and somewhat reckless, which is interesting to contrast sort of, Mm -hmm. um, just his style with his personality. But the story behind this particular painting or not this particular painting, but Caravaggio's, um, portrayal of the head in this painting, um, it's associated with, um, a story he, Caravaggio got in a fight and killed a man. Um, and because of this, he was actually exiled from Rome and, and he actually had a death sentence put on him. And so he fled, uh, but this death sentence was hanging over him for much of his life. And, and the particular nature of the death sentence was death by decapitation. Right. And so we can't help but notice the. <laughs> Caravaggio's obvious fascination or maybe not fascination, but obsession Mm. with decapitation, uh, because this is, this is a thing that has followed him, uh, since he made this, uh, as he might feel, or as he might think of it later on, a a huge mistake in killing this man that led to uh, his death sentence being placed on him by decapitation. Um, and so uh, as we kind of bring that knowledge into this this painting um 
it, it actually becomes very interesting. Um, the, the, actual, the actual head of Goliath, a lot of commentators have said that um, Caravaggio actually painted that in his own likeness. Right. And so, again, you can't help but see how Caravaggio is beginning to bring his own experiences into the story of David and try to understand and work through maybe some of his own um, issues uh, in this very artistic way. Right. And so if uh, the thing about Caravaggio, if, if the head of Goliath is Caravaggio's self-portrait, mm-hmm. then he is seeing himself as monstrous, mm-hmm. right? Which would be a recognition of all of the wild and provocative things, the brawls and all the things he was accused of during his lifetime. Um, it's a, it's recognizing that yes, he's guilty. Mm-hmm. He sees himself as guilty and, and monstrous. And perhaps this is a way of, it can be several things. One is, is that if he painted himself that way, then, then David is the innocent. Right. right? Yeah. You know, he, he's once it's, it's kind of a, you know, kind of almost a Christ figure. Uh-huh. You know, that's kind of atoning for this horror that he is. Yeah. As, that he knows he is as a person, right? And maybe it's a way of him talking about, um, you know, offering up a penance, you know, for the authorities. Well, and I, I think what's really compelling about that is David's face, the way that he's looking at the head is really ambiguous, um, and we've talked about those ambiguous mm. looks and those, um, we've talked about those looks before, uh, like in last episode where we covered Samson mm-hmm. and Delilah, the, right. the, the gaze, the look is very compelling because you almost get the sense that David is looking down with some sort of regret or m- like maybe mercy. He He's feeling something very unique about this particular symbol um, and, and, and perhaps it is his own way of, of saying I, I've seen what I've become and I regret that what I've become mm-hmm. um, or it could be David as the um, you know David you know but the, the the young David taking the place of um, the the sentencing authorities. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know the innocent ones. Yes. Having mercy on on Caravaggio. On, on Caravaggio, yes. kind of a a Christ like I you know I, yeah. I I forgive you kind of a thing. Yeah. And so to finish this kind of story, and then we'll maybe get a little bit into more of the the biblical text and mm-hmm. kind of what's going on there. Um, Caravaggio sent this painting to the cardinal that that put the death sentence on him. And uh, the cardinal, when he received this painting, was stirred by it in some measure because he he actually revoked his death sentence uh, and was going to allow Caravaggio to return to Rome. Uh, Unfortunately, Caravaggio died, I think, of some intestinal disease uh, a few days before Maybe not a few days. That's probably he died before word uh, of his absolvement reached him. 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this really climactic end to this very intense, intense yeah, story. story. Um, yeah, and I think when we put this in conversation with with the the story of David that we find in the Bible, one of the things that that emerges is uh, in the life of David is that David could be something of a monster himself. You know, David, David is not the innocent. You know, David is the one that, uh, you know, the famous story with Bathsheba, she takes her, her husband Uriah and has him killed, perhaps decapitated too, <laughs> and then takes Bathsheba for his wife. And, of course, all the intrigue with his children, um, you know, David certainly wasn't shy about killing people to serve his own interests. So is there something of of that David that Caravaggio is seeing even in himself? Yeah, I, I like in the text, I, I didn't pick this up. Um, this is the first time I've kind of noticed this detail and the way that its place kind of calls it out. It, it talks about after David hits Goliath in the head with the stone. He, he goes over to him, and it, the text says that he had no sword. <laughs> and then he draws Goliath's sword. And so you almost, you almost see that sort of symbolic transference right. of, you know, this sort of innocent David who didn't really have to decapitate the head. I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing in what the Lord wanted him to do that told him that you need to you know, kill Goliath and then chop his head off and carry it around with you wherever you go. I mean, that, that there, that's unnecessary for what I think the Lord would want of David. And Mm -hmm. and yet we see David go over to the body without a sword and then leave with the sword in the head. Mm -hmm. And so even at the beginning of David's story, we're seeing these seeds of, of what's to come later with Uriah. Um, and so that that sort of play between this this sort of innocence, um, yeah, to and, a beastly kind of monstrous figure mm-hmm. is really. I mean, it's the seeds are there in the biblical text, and I, that's I think also it's what we're seeing in the painting is what Caravaggio is seeing and picking up on, mm-hmm. um, and kind of interpreting it in his through his own story in his in his own way. Mm-hmm. David is not, you know, in Caravaggio's painting, it, it's. It's almost the you know the young innocent David turns out to be not so innocent, also grisly, and we get two representations of the real David in this painting. Yes, the young and the old. Yes, and also you get uh, we, to your point about David didn't have to cut the head off, right? There's really kind of a a triple humiliation for the Philistines. One is that he killed Goliath at all. Right. Right. That's humiliation. Number one, because the giant is dead, but humiliation. Number two is killing Goliath with his own sword. Right. And then humiliation. Number three is having the head cut off and then taken to Jerusalem as a showpiece. (laughs) I mean, this, this is excessive. Yes. Right. And as you said, that's right. Not what was required at all. Right. So 
a little bloodthirsty, a lot prideful. That's right. Look at me. I'm this young upstart, and look mm-hmm. at what I did. Mm-hmm. Not completely innocent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and it's interesting, too. I was, I was reading an article, and it talked about the, the actual sword of Goliath has, some, uh, has an inscription on it. And the inscriptions in Latin and it's uh, just letters. I think it's H A O S is is the words, um, the first letters of the words in Latin, which um, I can look up later and insert it in mm-hmm. here probably. But it, those those letters mean humility kills pride, and so there's suddenly this intense layering that's going mm-hmm. on when when Goliath. Goliath's own sword, which says humility kills pride, is picked up by David, sort of this young, humble, innocent one, and is then used to kill Goliath. But then we see later on what's going to happen to David. So, so you see these very like nuanced and layered ideas going on with David's um, humility leading to pride, you know, leading to his own downfall in the end. That's right. That, That's right. Some yeah, some really interesting details. Well, in the and also in the in the in the in the Bible story, uh, the identity of David also takes front and center. Who is this? That's right. Son, who is this young man? He's the one with the head of the Goliath. He's the one with right. the head of the Goliath. But then. Okay, so Abner, whose son is he? I don't know, right? Go inquire and find out who this who this kid is, right? Um, oh yeah. On David returning the killing of the Philistine, you know, and so Abner, Abner brings him, and you know, again the question: Who is this young man? Who is this young man? Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? It's David, right? The the son, the servant of the. The son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite, mm-hmm. right? So over and over again, it's David. It's like, okay, we got that two pages ago. Mm-hmm. Right? We're still working on yeah. the identity. It's yeah. David. It's David. It's David. So the the Bible story is working at a place in First Samuel that is also seeking to legitimate David as the king. Mm. Right, it's the beginning of the that ascendancy narrative, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to demonstrate that that David is a better warrior than Saul, right? So we get that out of this picture that that David is actually like a son of Saul because technically Jonathan was supposed to get the throne, mm-hmm. right? But instead, David's been appointed. So how do we make David look legitimate. Well, he's he's a warrior. He got Goliath three different ways, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and then, of course, in in later stories, you know, Jonathan transfers his uh, affection to David and his robe to David, and all of that, which is symbolic of like transference of power. David marries Michal, uh, Saul's daughter, so he's the son that way too. So we got to get David up on that throne, mm-hmm. right? This, and this is the beginning. S- the this start is the beginning. Of it. Yeah. This is the beginning of that. Well, I like. How does it? He, he shows up. David shows up in the throne room, right? At some point, 
near the near the end. It's the third time that the head appears. Uh, well, he comes back to um, he comes back to Jerusalem with the head. That's right, and then maybe maybe I was reading into it. Does he, he does he appear before Saul at some point? Um, no, it just says David took the head of the Philistine and brought it right. to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in the tent. Right, and that's the third time that it mentions. Yeah, that's the a th- that's the that's the third time. Then Saul saw David go out against the, or when Saul saw David go out yeah. against the Philistines. Um, so that's that's another. That's another time. Yeah, I re- yeah I really like how that this sort of decapitated head has become attached to David. I mean, it's 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 very mm-hmm. it's very symbolic for the sort of violence that will follow him his whole mm-hmm. life. Yeah, and could we? It's a question, not a statement, but but could we say that the painting? might also lead us to question how much David realized at the end of his life, mm. how monstrous he had been. Right. Right. Is, is this in any way a Psalm 51-ish moment from David's perspective? Right. Right. Um, you know, my sin is ever before me. Yeah. The killing of, I mean, the... The taking of Bathsheba, but also the killing of Uriah. Right. Um, you know, Psalm 51 that talks about David's sin. And so he says, you know, a Lord against you only have I sinned. Well, not really. You know, I mean, he sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah. And, yeah. you know, I mean, in reality, they're the ones who died. Right. Right. So um, how... And I think that is a question in the in the life of David hmm. that is important to wrestle with is how aware was he hmm. really yeah. of what he had done. Yeah. And and to return to the the idea of his his look, his gaze down hmm. on the head of Goliath, as I mentioned earlier, it's very ambiguous. It, using that question as sort of a way to interpret it, you you could almost Say you can almost see in his face, sort of this recognition that things have changed. Like ah, uh, yeah, it, it almost like this loss of innocence moment where he he's, uh, you know, just decapitated Goliath and he's picking it up and he's seeing the blood flow down and and maybe there may be something in that look that that indicates that he realizes what he's done. Uh, and where it where it could lead him to, and 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 so the question continues: Is does he have that recognition? Mm-hmm. Does does he lose? When would he lose recognition of that sort of of his own capacity towards that's right blood thir- these kind of bloodthirsty actions? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and there's something else, and I. I don't. I think another variant of the painting, not this one, but another one, mm-hmm. uh, where he's holding again the decapitated head of, of Goliath. But on this one, he's looking down. Mm-hmm. In the other one, he's looking 
sort of up into the side, like there's someone else he's looking at. Mm. Right. And the question on that one has always been, okay, so who is he looking at? Right. right. So he's got the head. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, when we look at this one, who is, who is he looking at? Yeah. And what if it's Saul? Whoa. You know, what, what if, because that look is, is almost, um, looking, looking at him as if to say, look what I did, or I can do this. Right. Or is this what you wanted? Yes. Or, um, even darker, I did this to Goliath, to Goliath, I can do this to you. Right. That's kind of where my mind immediately yeah. jumped. Um, uh, yeah. Because, you know, we know that um, in First in Samuel, um, there, are, um, there are places where Saul tries to kill David. Mm-hmm. Right? Because out of jealousy. Right. So, um, you know, these ambiguous looks that we've mm-hmm. been, been talking about, they, they raise a lot of questions about what is, what is David? Who is David? Who is David? Who is David? And what is he thinking? Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think in Bible stories, we, th- we think, we think of David and this story it's like, well, he's the little shepherd boy that because of God's That's strength right. and power killed the That's Philistine. Right. It's it's almost as if he didn't kill the Phil like Yeah, it's it's God did this we, through David yes. and and he saved the Philistines and Goliath was evil and kind of deserved to die, yeah. sort of thing. Right. Yes. But with but the violence, as we saw earlier, is gratuitous. Mm-hmm. It's it's more than necessary. Mm-hmm. So David's capable of a lot. That's right. And just how obsessed is he with power? Yeah. How obsessed is he with, with, um, being, being the hero. Mm -hmm. He's a a piece of work. He is a piece of work. There's a lot lot going on. There there. is a lot going on. It all all starts here. It all starts here. The seeds, seeds of this Mm -hmm. story. Um, is there, I, 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 we did this for our last episode and I thought it was a really good way to kind of wrap up the discussion. Um, it, as far as like personal impact of, of this particular painting or painting series, mm-hmm. is there anything that you can talk about um, as far as like a personal impact on you for this painting? Well, I, I think, I think for me, um, where I go with with where I go with with these paintings is a question of of what I am capable of given certain circumstances, mm. right? I mean, it's um, there, there's something in, that's intoxicating about power. Mm. There's there's something that um, I think I don't think I'm alone in this, but I think a lot of us are are capable of a lot more. Um, a lot more violence than we realize, uh, and if not violence, then something else, right? Right. 
just just today we were talking about um, Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias, exactly. This, the prominent position of power leads mm-hmm. to this absolute, absolutely horrific stories, stories. of abuse. Yeah, um, and you know, so you know, that's this ability to do good and the ability to do bad is is resident within all of us and manifests in different times and in different ways in different places. And so the question for me is always, okay, for, so what's the trigger? Mm. What, what triggers those things in me? What, what, what triggered the, the gratuitous violence in David, yeah. right? Was it, um, what, what, what made it go over the top Right. when it didn't have to? That's right. So I think those are the those are the kinds of things that makes me think about. Yeah. What about you? For me, I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time with with this particular painting, um, but what I what I am beginning to sort of receive from it, what I'm beginning to see in it, is sort of this this notion of um, kind of like what you're talking about. Um, you, you see this notion of self reflection that's occurring. Um, in Caravaggio, the artist, as he's trying to grapple with his own mm-hmm. dark past. And he, he almost, I, I, I love how he sort of works this out through a piece of art. Mm. And I think for me, seeing him do that in his own way is, is almost encouraging for me to, to continue to explore art to explore my creative leanings mm-hmm. in ways that that um, allow me to self-reflect that allow me to sort of come to terms with some of the um, things that I've done that I'm not proud of or or maybe, yeah maybe figure out what are those things that do sort of trigger me into um, you know taking advantage of people or being selfish. Mm-hmm. So, so I think seeing, seeing how Caravaggio is, is kind of using this biblical story to work through his own sort of demons. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually really, um, I, I was very impressed by the, the detail and the nuance of his own story that was captured in David's story. Um, Willing to even paint the face, his own face. Yes. Yeah. As guilty. Yes. I mean, surely, I mean, I, 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 I don't paint a whole lot, but I imagine that painting that face didn't take, uh, it wasn't short. I mean, it wasn't over, a, a, you know, a short period of time and, you know, getting the details of the blood flowing down yeah. from your own decapitated head. There must've been some sort of like, the act of painting that out had to have done something for him or to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it would be hard to paint your own decapitated head without, you know, feelings of something bubbling. It's almost surface. like self-flagellation. It, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you wonder. You wonder if if this was successful for Caravaggio. <laughs> I mean, I mean, from from an external perspective, apparently it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wonder if internally it, it ever 
he ever was able to kind of deal with those demons because you do in a lot of, I, I wanted to count before we got on the podcast, but I wanted to count the number of beheadings or near beheading or decapitation mm-hmm. paintings that he's done. There, there are, there's a lot. There's more than 10. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear that this, this sentence hung over him mm-hmm. like the proverbial oh, yeah. ax. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of, there's a lot in the a lot in the Bible. There's a lot of cutting and slicing and um, you know, the other one of his paintings that's pretty compelling, although it's not a complete decapitation, is the near decapitation or the near right. killing of Isaac by yes. Abraham. That one. Is one you know, we need to talk, talk about. about. Yeah, I mean the way Abraham is holding Isaac down and about the neck. I mean, there's a very clear the Caravaggio version. There's a very clear sense of of the head's about to come off. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's terrifying. The, the look in terrifying. Isaac's eyes. Oof. Um, that'll make you think twice about that story. That's right. That's right. And that yeah, we need to do that one because yeah. that's that that's fertile ground for lots of it good is. conversations. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up this one? I don't think on this one. Just if if uh, if you're listening and you're interested, you might want to look up. There's other versions even besides the two that we've looked at. Right. Yeah. You might want to take a look at those because even the idea of multiple versions <laughs> of the same painting right. means that he's working something out. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Believing Art Podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believing Art Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Believing Art, that's one word, for all our updates, episode releases, and other miscellany. We'll see you next time.